Welcome in again to the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. I am joined twice weekly during the football season by the senior analyst at BamaOnline.com. That's Travis Dreyer, of course, and as well the daily host of Southern Fried Sports Radio at 102.9 FM in Tuscaloosa. The Talking Tide podcast, you can get it at our web host, podbean.com, and as well on various apps, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And with that, we recap a Sunday nighter, Travis, uh, Alabama with a CFP semifinal win over Oklahoma, 45-34. The final score, Alabama over the Sooners. A big night for a healthy-looking Tua Tungvaloa. No question about that. A big night for Kyler Murray. A big night for offense all the way around. Alabama with uh, 500-plus yards and gets out to a, a booming offensive start in the game. And, and uh, Oklahoma ended up uh, approaching 500 yards of their own. Uh, but at the end of the day, this, this, this monstrosity of a lead that Alabama put together in the first 18 or so minutes of the game just – proved to dictate the game and and, uh, determine the outcome. It did, and it really started with Alabama's defense. Uh, You kind of expected, at least we did, based on what we had seen from Oklahoma and certainly what we had seen with the fast starts from this Alabama team, uh, Tua Tonga-Vailoa and that offense having a chance to to produce points uh, rather quickly. It was interesting. Oklahoma won the toss chase and deferred to the second half gave Alabama the football and Alabama goes down gets in the end zone had to convert a couple of third downs had the near fumble by Damian Harris there inside the two uh that was overturned and and the ball given back to Alabama uh but Alabama's defense uh on three straight Oklahoma possessions to start the game it was almost like a tennis match in that um Alabama was able to break serve a couple of three times early in the game uh, giving the ball back to the offense and not just giving the ball back to the offense chase field position was very very kind to Alabama on, on three of those scoring drives in which it jumped out to that 28 to nothing lead but yeah when you look at it in retrospect after Alabama outgained Oklahoma 191 to zero on its first three possessions of the contest you know oh you kind of found it offensively but you just can't get into that big of a hole against this Alabama team, especially knowing that you're not going to hold this Alabama offense down for two or three quarters in succession, not with a defense like Oklahoma's. And ultimately, it proved too much. And that's how it played out because Oklahoma never got closer than 11. They actually cut the lead to three different 11-point margins, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, over the course of the second half, but could never get it closer than 11, Travis, and, and its inability to get any stops on on the Crimson Tide offense is, is ultimately what, what kind of buried it. Uh, they opened with the 50-yard slant to Devontae Smith right out of the gate. So much for uh, that running game I was expecting to, to uh, establish early. Uh, Smith with a, a, a big catch and a big, ca- big game. And, and, you know, Devontae Smith... I don't want to say he's been the forgotten guy in the quartet of receivers at Alabama, but he hadn't gotten the ball quite as much statistically. He's actually, uh, I think, uh, 
even behind Irv Smith uh, in, in most receiving categories coming into the game. Uh, but he, he breaks off a big one to get things started. Ended up with a touchdown catch a little bit later in the game. Really made his presence felt. He did. You know, he's been dealing with that hamstring uh, injury since really the Missouri game back on October the 13th, which coincidentally was Devontae Smith's last 100-yard receiving game. Uh, the four games after that, um, you know, just not himself. Thought it was pretty obvious he missed the Tennessee game following that Missouri game altogether. Uh, it was sort of slow in coming back from it. And while he was doing that, Jalen Waddell asserted himself as sort of the number three guy. And Alabama didn't miss a beat over that stretch. Jalen Waddell from the Tennessee game through Georgia had very much filled the shoes of Devontae Smith. But Smith looking healthier than ever since that hamstring injury uh, on Saturday night. And, and that's the guy we saw, uh, kind of pre-injury Devontae Smith. And, you know, you 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 talk about Alabama uh, being maybe more aggressive in the passing game, but I, I think you were right to an extent too, Chase, to a large extent. Because more than anything, Alabama was aggressive on first downs early in the game. You mentioned the 50-yard slant um, to Devontae Smith. Well, they open the next drive uh, with a with a 9-yard completion to Devontae Smith. Their third drive, uh, they were aggressive early in the possession with Tua dropping a dime to Jerry Judy. So it wasn't so much that they threw it a lot. It's just that when they did, especially early on in those first quarter into the second quarter possessions, they were extremely effective, and they were very effective on third downs early in the game uh, as well. So, you know, the the mix was there. We both expected balance. We just kind of thought Alabama might go about different ways in getting there. Well, Alabama ran the football 42 times in the game, threw it 28. So it was actually a little more run-heavy than pass, and, you know, that was how Alabama was able to control things uh, from a time of possession standpoint too, Chase. The backs were constantly falling forward. They were constantly getting two or three yards after going into the pile, uh, and and you know they and, and Oklahoma only had Oklahoma's defense only delivered eight yards and losses all night combined. All TFLs, all yeah. sacks, eight yards, and so when you combine that with Alabama's ability to just kind of grind it, yeah, the running back did the running game did play a uh, a big role. Uh, I thought Josh Jacobs was phenomenal. I, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, he is he has really hit such a stride now where uh, at times he, he looks more effective than, than even Damian Harris. Uh, the, and the punctuation uh, with the hit on uh, the safety, Barnes, at the five-yard line yeah. before the half to make the score 28 nothing. You want to talk, talk about an emphatic way of putting a game away. That, that play right there... I think for just about everybody signaled that the game was over and signaled that, that, that Alabama was, was going to be more physical all night. Alabama's backs were huge. You know, here's a stat for you. Between Josh Jacobs, Damian Harris, and Najee Harris, a combined 280 total yards in the game, three touchdowns, and that was on 31 touches, Chase. So what are we talking about there? A little more right around nine yards per touch? for Alabama's top three backs in the game. And Alabama and Tua Tonga-Vailoa didn't make the same mistake twice. And when I say that, I'm talking about the passing game 
involving the backs. And you sort of touched on it there with Josh Jacobs' 27-yard uh, touchdown reception uh, that he finished oh so emphatically, as you noted there. Um, Alabama got the backs involved in the passing game. Tua sort of turned that down against Georgia, seemed more intent on trying to make chunk throws uh, against that Georgia defense. Whether it was by his progression that took him there on occasion Saturday night or whether or not Mike Loxley and that offensive staff said, look, we're scripting it right into the game plan. This is our primary guy on these plays. We are going to throw the ball to the backs uh, against this defense. Uh, it was very effective. And, and you're right on Jacobs. Uh, I don't know if there's a back in college football, period, right now, Chase, um, that, that is more impactful to his team in various areas of the game as Josh Jacobs is to Alabama right now. You got to wonder what what the rumblings are going to be with the NFL draft and him too. Yeah, you uh, do. And and we've all seen and read the story uh, about Josh's uh, tough background coming up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the inspirational story involving his father and, and making sacrifices to try to give Josh and his siblings uh, everything that he could. In, in very tough circumstances, Josh obviously has a young son of his own. Uh, and you, you follow this as close as anyone. Um, what do you think in terms of you know, how he's being perceived right now you know, by NFL people? Scouts love him. Uh, I, I've, talked, I've talked to a couple of them that, that think he's uh, one of the most underrated talents in the country. He's only, he's only underrated because, of, because he's – you know, he, he's only getting nine or ten touches in a lot of games. But just from a straight raw talent standpoint, the guy's got it all. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if he's got a tougher decision. He certainly, I would think, would be one of the five, and, and exceptions are made. Sometimes it's six or seven or eight, under you know, depending on the circumstances. But definitely, I would think, be one of the guys for Alabama that's going to get a feedback letter uh, you, you, they can't like that number range is usually from uh, five to eight. Five is kind of the max, but if you're Alabama, you can squeeze a few more in there. Uh, that'll definitely be interesting for sure. Couple of drives in this Alabama game I wanted to ask you about, Travis, that that didn't result in big highlight touchdowns, but I thought uh, were big drives or at least statement drives for the Crimson Tides, and both of them were pretty much the drives to end each half. Uh, into the first half, Alabama uh, gets a field goal, uh, but seven minutes come off the clock. 7.05, as a matter of fact. They leave OU with only 25 seconds, basically ending the half. Uh, I believe 31-10 was the score at the time. Uh, so they they kill – so with that drive, they not only kill seven minutes to end the half, uh, but they also extend the lead to 21 points with the field goal. And then the four-minute kneel down at the end of the second half—that was, uh, yeah, <laughs> that was a that was a big boy statement too. That's the that's the blueprint. If Nick Saban could finish, or really any football coach could finish any game, especially against an opponent like Oklahoma with that offense, uh, that would be the 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 choice. It was the way Alabama did it, and you hit on the field goal there and the field goal drive at the end of the first half. And a part of that was Alabama defensively getting the job done in the red zone. Uh, Oklahoma uh, was forced to settle for a field goal 
um, to cut it to 28 to 10 there in the second quarter. Alabama goes on a drive. And, you know, poor Joseph Bullivis. This guy catches so much flack. But when you look at his numbers now, he's 13 of 17 on field goals. Extra points, we get it. They've been a bit of an adventure, no doubt about it. But he is now 13 of 17 after that 38-yarder Saturday night chase. And he's a perfect 3 of 3 between 40 and 49 yards. The guy has quietly taken care of business from a field goal perspective. So uh, let's give Joey three points, a little credit here (laughs) on the podcast. But, you know, and then Oklahoma comes out to start the the third quarter. And you talk about time-consuming field goal drives. Well, if you were Oklahoma, that's not what you needed in the third quarter down 31 to 10. But the Sooners come out, get the football to start the third quarter, and, and they go down the field. Uh, but they're forced to settle again for a red zone field goal. And making matters worse was the fact that they used over five minutes of game clock in doing so. So it was kind of the double whammy. Uh, Sort of killed themselves in terms of time of possession and opportunities that were left in the game uh, and, and only got three out of it. Kyler Murray with a big night statistically, but just had so much work in front of him with that big Alabama lead early in the game. Uh, you, you wondered if anybody, you wondered if Superman could have made a run coming from from 28 down. Uh, he ends up throwing for 300-plus, made some really, really nice throws, runs for 109, becomes the first quarterback to run for 100 yards on a Nick Saban Alabama defense. Uh, a, an excellent performance from him, and, and you know, he's. It was almost at times uh, like he could he could take ten or fifteen on uh, on a scramble almost whenever he wanted it with the with his feet. Uh, but uh, it just the lead was way too big, obviously, for it to affect the outcome. But I thought he acquitted himself well with his play. He did, and we talked about it earlier in the pod. The avalanche that Alabama hit Oklahoma with. Um, you know, and, and able to get to Murray uh, defensively early in the game. You saw it with Anthony Jennings, Christian Miller. Once again, Quentin Williams pretty much unblockable uh, by an interior front for, for an offensive line. I thought Oklahoma did a better job of hitting Quentin Williams after the play uh, than during it uh, throughout the course of the evening. Now, what we did see, I thought, was a, a primary concern for this Alabama team all season, right? front seven depth um Oklahoma didn't even surpass 70 plays in the game but it was obvious by the end of the third quarter into the fourth quarter Raekwon Davis Quentin Williams uh Anthony Jennings you know these guys are having to play a ton of snaps uh and a guy like Kyler Murray can can wear you out pretty quick so fortunately for Alabama the play count didn't get north of say 80 as we've seen in the past with some of these offenses, but even at a reasonable number, you know, Alabama defensively, uh, even with the offense protecting it to an extent with time of possession in favor of the Crimson Tide, that was a gas group. And you look at the college football playoff this year, you got a couple more days between the semifinals and the championship game. 
I think Quentin Williams, Raekwon Davis, yeah. some of those guys up front are going to be very appreciative of the extra recovery time they're going to have here in the next few days. And not only did they look gassed at times, but a couple of those guys were dinged. Obviously, Christian Miller went out yeah. of the game with something that, that, that looked a, a little bit more on the serious side. I'm not sure what that – you probably know more about that situation than I do, but, but Quentin Williams got dinged. He looked like he was – he came in and out of the game and in and out – uh, and was clearly not playing at 100%. He, he had a hitch in his giddy-up just, uh, you know, outside the whistles. And Bugs wasn't right either. I'm not sure what exactly what happened there. I think he yeah. might have gotten dinged. And it, there was a stretch there where it looked like Bugs was, was playing on one leg. Uh, so, you know, who knows if those things will be concerns uh, for the Clemson game. But uh, definitely – Along with the the you know the fatigue factor and and, and whatever else, I uh, thought that played a role as well. Yeah, Bugs has had sort of a knee issue that was aggravated, I think, late in the regular season. Um, you know, back around the Citadel Auburn, he played through it against Georgia, but it was pretty obvious even in that game he was sort of carrying it uh, on that leg, uh, and, and he gave it his best on Saturday night. Give the guy all kinds of credit, but. I don't think even the time between Atlanta and Miami uh, was quite enough to get him back to where he needs to be. And with just a short turnaround now to Clemson out in Santa Clara, uh, he's probably going to continue to play with that issue through the national championship game. Something else to consider, too. You know, it's December the 29th everywhere else, but in Miami, it's still sort of late September in terms of weather and how that can impact people. Uh, that won't be a problem, I don't think, next Monday no. in Santa Clara because looking at the long-range forecast right now, high of 61 a week from Monday out in Santa Clara with a low of 44 should be perfect weather uh, for, for the big guys out there. Sometimes I think that's as chilly as it gets out there in the winter. Uh, <laughs> I, I, me- I remember going out there the year that Alabama played Texas, and you'd have thought it was uh, – april or something yeah it was in pasadena even that's southern california and santa clara you know we're talking up around san francisco oakland um and and having been out there just recently as a matter of fact uh it it felt it felt great it was it was perfect football weather when i was out there so uh if the rain this is what you got to think about too and i know we'll get more into this later in the week with clemson uh coming up but you know outdoor game natural surface uh san francisco this time of year that area anyway san jose san francisco santa clara you got the potential for precipitation to consider uh in a game like this too tampa a few years ago even by by florida standards was a was a perfect night uh for football down there in in alabama clemson too which seems like what 10 years ago now sure yeah, uh, West Coast trips for you abound, I guess, uh, these last couple of weeks, uh, month and beyond. You've been out there uh, more than a couple times, I think, out where uh, the man likes to put post those numbers uh, and, uh, and, and uh, the, the, the boys come running for, for games like this one and that Clemson-Notre Dame game. Yeah, and you know what? The man just keeps reloading those ATM machines in that casino, you know? <laughs> Every night. The, the, the ATMs have that out-of-service message. Well, every morning, the man fills them right back up for him, you know, and uh, they empty out again. So, 
from what I understand and talking with some people associated with the man out there uh, in Nevada from over the weekend, the money that was made on Alabama-Oklahoma came on that total, you know, because I want to say game day morning it was at 77, and it got bet up to 79. Um, so apparently the man hit it right in the middle, uh, which is what he loves. You know, that's 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 how he builds all these these casinos and everything. Um, so so he did well apparently on that game Saturday night. I tell you, for, for the handle for yeah, obviously you know the, the Super Bowl games like this one, games like uh, the the national championship game next week. Uh, the the handle out there, the total handle uh, that they post, I think is is just is just unbelievable. The the, the number of dollars that get thrown around uh, on these games, Travis. Uh, I guess kind of wrapping up thoughts on this Alabama Oklahoma game, the C.D. Lamb v. Pat Sertain matchup. We touched on this in the preview pod several days before the game. You hit we this one. Looked ahead. I thought they were going to throw it Sertain's way, and and he. He got he got more than his share of targets coming at him, and 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 Lamb had a big one. Yeah, considering that Marquise Hollywood Brown was essentially a non-factor due to that foot injury, I think C.D. Lamb more than validated himself as a legit number one type receiver. And I know some Alabama fans were, you know, not happy with some some uh, potential push-offs and things like that. This is college football, though, Chase. Right. I mean, you, you watch college football, you watch the National Football League. There, If there's a bigger difference between how, you know, uh, P.I. is called um, between the, the pro game and the college game, uh, if there's another area where there's a bigger difference. I'd like to know what that is because in the college game, both sides are allowed to pretty much use everything but tridents while dealing with each other okay it's very physical and it's allowed and so you know if you're an Alabama fan and you're still waiting on offensive PI against CD Lamb on Saturday night don't hold your breath is what I'm saying and by the way get ready for more of it from this Clemson wide receiver core coming up uh, a week from Monday it's going to happen again but as for Patrick Sertan the second that's the most we've seen an opponent, uh, opposing team really go at him like that. Savion Smith has kind of had the target on his back, Chase, more so than even the true freshman. Uh, but absolutely, Saturday night, <laughs> Oklahoma, Kyler Murray, CeeDee Lamb, uh, they're, they're, they weren't hesitant at all at going at the talented Frosh. It's getting to where, too, where you're, you're seeing a little more flop-type action. Uh, oh, on, yeah. on on some of these kinds of plays and and uh uh i think so, sometimes defensive players get a little flop in them uh you know if they feel like they've been beaten on a play and there's one last little shove that they can kind of exaggerate uh which which i don't like i wish there was a way to kind of kind of eliminate the flop you know element to it uh but Nevertheless, uh, yeah, they went after Sertan. He's a big kid. He's not a small guy. He's strong. Uh, he's long. He he he's built uh, to handle a lot of bigger receivers. But still, even as big as he is, if you're running into a guy six four, it, it's like a it, it's like a two guard trying to get a, a rebound on a on a forward. It is. And how about that lick Lamb put on Mac Wilson? Peeling back. Uh, that yeah. was a big hit. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I, I, I was very impressed with, with Lamb. 
his numbers told us going into the game that this guy was legit. But you still had to wonder how much of that was a byproduct of having a guy like uh, Brown to work with. Well, you know, he, again, he showed you that he's more than a, a capable of being a standalone guy at the wide receiver spot. The Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com moves on. We're going to thank a few sponsors now, starting with North River Dental Associates and Dr. Jack Smalley. You can give him a call at 752-3506. Best place in town to get your teeth taken care of. It's conveniently located right off of McFarland Boulevard at 1100 Fairfax Park. Dr. Jack, former Alabama linebacker, uh, does a great job with his staff over there. They'll get you in and out of there in less than an hour on routine cleanings. Uh, they're real gentle with that uh, with that poker or whatever it is, that tool nobody likes. Scraper. It'll, it'll, yeah, Scraper. It'll stick yeah. you in the gums, and nobody and nobody likes that. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're real gentle with that one. Uh, State-of-the-art the office. Thing you, it's the same thing you clear ice off your windshield with in, in January. <laughs> yeah, much. yeah, it feels great. But uh, <laughs> uh, they know their way around that tool real they good do. over there. And uh, NorthRiverDentist.com, of course, is uh, where you can go to make an appointment on the web. We also want to thank Urban Cookhouse, the outstanding farm-to-fire-to-table restaurant at 1490 North Bank Parkway, conveniently located right off of Rice Mine Road. It's convenient to campus. It's convenient to Northport. It's convenient no matter uh, where you are in town. Vince Hunter and his staff uh, cooking up some great food with those big green egg smokers. Uh, They got a selection of sandwiches, wraps, salads, you name it. It's all outstanding. Private dining available. They can cater. Uh, Just go uh, email them at catering at urbancookhouse.com. They can take care of you in that respect. And finally, uh, we're down to just the last day or two of the holiday meal deal, which has been running uh, through the end of the calendar year. So if you got a New Year's Eve event that you're putting together uh, and you're trying to figure out how to get a big group fed, uh, let them take care of it at Urban Cookhouse with the holiday meal deal. Feeds 8 to 10 people, 3 pounds of that great sliced smoked turkey, $95 is the deal. You get a bunch of sides uh, and dressings with that as well. It's Urban Cookhouse. I'm going to tell you about our good friends out at Mercedes-Benz of Tuscaloosa, 3200 Skyland Boulevard East. That's where you're going to find the very best selection of automobiles, both new and certified pre-owned, waiting for you right now at Mercedes-Benz of Tuscaloosa. Crunch for time? Well, there's a way you can expedite the shopping process with Mercedes-Benz of Tuscaloosa. You can do that at MercedesOfTuscaloosa.com. Go to MercedesOfTuscaloosa.com. Check out the entire inventory that sits on the lot today. Then make your way to 3200 Skyland Boulevard East for the very best. In selection, sales, and service after the sale, it is Mercedes-Benz of Tuscaloosa. Also, our good friends, right there in downtown Tuscaloosa, Carty and Lloyd, attorneys at law. Give them a call right now, 205-759-1554. If you or someone you love has been involved in a car accident or any other incident that required an injury report, that's the number to call now, 205-759-1554. They can help you in any and every aspect of the law, not just car accidents. Any issue you may be uh, dealing with right now, you can get help from our friends at Carty and Lloyd Attorneys at Law. Check out the website as well, www.cartylloydlaw.com. That's Carty and Lloyd Attorneys at Law. 
Talking Tide Podcast, moving on, podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Chase Goodbread and Travis Ryer with you. We're going to turn our attention now, of course, to that Clemson-Notre Dame game, the other semifinal, the Cotton Bowl Classic. Travis, uh, I called this one Clemson in a runaway, 30-3 to the final score. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, 27-39, 327, three touchdowns, no picks. Took him a little while to get warmed up. Clemson had, I think, only three points going into the second quarter. Uh, but but when Lawrence started to feel it, Travis, it was it was over. It was, and really, Clemson was able to turn that into a seven-on-seven contest, and that's exactly what Notre Dame didn't want to have happen. Yes, Notre Dame had some injuries on defense throughout the course of the game, um, but you were all over it. You tried. We were talking about the man earlier. You tried to give our listeners some free money <laughs> in that game. I hope they took advantage of it uh, because you knocked that one out of the park. But you know, again, you know the dearth in talent when you talk about Notre Dame compared to these blue bloods like uh, Clemson, like Alabama, like Georgia. Now I know Georgia went up to South Bend and eked out a win early in the 2017 season but right now I think Georgia would do pretty much the same thing uh, to Notre Dame as Clemson did on a neutral field but Lawrence very impressive Um, obviously sets up an outstanding showdown of young quarterbacks uh, out in uh, Northern California a week from Monday night but um, you, you can't help but but be impressed by uh, th- those those skill players that that go with him too, ATN Ross Higgins, uh, outstanding group of skill guys, and they were basically able to just skill player um, Notre Dame. I, and, and where I think it it will be different, and I know again we'll save this for more of our Clemson related pod. Uh, I, I think where it'll be different, similar to w- the way it was in the Sugar Bowl uh, a year ago when Alabama and Clemson got together. I don't wonder about Lawrence even as much as a freshman going against Alabama as I still do that Clemson offensive line. You know, can't Clemson consistently block Alabama? I, I think that, for me, going into this week is is going to be at the top of my sort of to-do list or my, my storyline list when I look ahead to this matchup of, of Tide and Tigers. And I'm a big Mitch Hyatt guy. I think they'll be fine at left tackle with him. He's outstanding, but one, one out of five ain't enough. Three out of five ain't enough. I, I, I'm with you. And even Hyatt, I, I think he's a good player. I don't think he's Jonah Williams. And so, you know, but this goes back to, and again, we don't want to get too much into it, Christian Miller's status, right? You know, with that yeah. hamstring. Uh, it, with a healthy Christian Miller and Anthony Jennings on the other side, with guys like Quinnen Williams and Isaiah Bugs and and Raquan Davis from from tackle to tackle too, uh, I, I think Alabama would be in really good shape uh, to deal with Trevor Lawrence and even Etienne in the run game. Uh, but Miller's potential, either absence or, or limited uh, for for that game, it it kind of it it, it dampers that, uh, dampens that maybe a little bit. There you go, a little taste, a little preview of the preview. The Talking Tide podcast, of course, is going to be uh, uh, focusing a full episode on this uh, Alabama-Clemson matchup, the fourth consecutive 
year they've run into each other in the CFP, three of those four in title games. Uh, so uh, definitely an exciting week. Travis will break that down couple days, three days or so before the game, as we always do. But that is going to do it for this week's edition of the Talking Tide podcast. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover. Catch us next time right here on Talking Tide.